observe the Lord's Supper together. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Just as a reminder, in case I forget to say it at the end, that as usual, um, we will have our morning service and then we'll have lunch with no afternoon today. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to read from verses 23 through 34. And I want to spend a little bit of time this morning thinking about the four aspects of the Lord's Supper. At least four aspects that are present as we um, come together and we partake of the Lord's Supper uh, as a body. 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to start in verse 23 and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He brake it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner, He uh, after the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together uh, to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. And you come not to get, that you come not together unto condemnation. And the rest I will set in order when I come. So I want to look this morning, want us to look this morning at... Um, Four aspects of what it is that we're doing. When we mention this during the prayer service, but um, when you look at how Jesus talks about the Lord's Supper, he talks about it as a memorial, a remembrance. We're here observing, remembering something. And it's clear whenever we read the text that we just read that uh, this language is, is brought up again. And so, I want us to think about um, together, what is it that we're remembering this morning? What is it that we're thinking about? What is it that we're focused on? Again, particularly as we enter into the Lord's Supper together. Number one, when we look at verses 24 through 25, it is clear that the Lord's Supper calls us to look back in remembrance calls us to look back in remembrance. As oft as you do this, as oft as you 
drink this. Do it in remembrance of me. We spent Wednesday night and prayer service this morning thinking about remembering the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Psalm 111 verse 4 says, He hath made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. When we think about the whole exercise of Scripture meditation and um, uh, and that discipline, really it is to stir our hearts and our minds to remember. To remember what the Lord has done. To remember who we are in Christ. To remember what we've received through His death. And so, brothers and sisters, as we come this morning to observe the Lord's Supper, we remember the sufferings of Christ. We remember His death. We remember His resurrection. And we remember that we are what we are because of Him. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if we flip the page... First Corinthians 15, in verse 3, First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, "For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried." And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says, I delivered unto you first of all. The phrase there, first of all, is a uh, phrase that indicates the order of importance. Okay. I, I, I delivered to you, it could be, I delivered unto you chiefly or most importantly. What's he saying here? Well, Paul is saying that the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fundamentally the most important reality in any Christian's life and any church's life. Okay, you take, you could, there's, there's a lot that you could strip away, but you can't strip that away. Okay, this is the, uh, the singular, um, binding unit outside of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no life. There is no forgiveness. There is no redemption. There is no reconciliation. And there is no spiritual communion among brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, first of all, or of first importance is this business of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, buried, resurrected. Jesus Christ is really the answer to every question and struggle and tension that we find in the Old Testament. This long-awaited anticipation of the Messiah who would come and who would make sense out of 
all the things that were left undone in the Old Testament, all the questions that were left unanswered in the Old Testament. One of those in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. This is where God appears before Moses. This is the first real in-depth revelation that God gives of Himself. It's been said that in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in short form, God in Exodus 34... Uh, preaches Moses a sermon about who he is. Okay? And that comes from the Lord passed by him and proclaimed. It's the same word we would translate preach. Look in Exodus 34, just 6 and 7. It says, The Lord passed by before him, that is Moses, and he proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation." Brothers and sisters, as you look at those two verses, I hope you recognize God reveals Himself categorically in two ways that do not go together. He reveals Himself as a God who's full of mercy, as a God who is full of patience, goodness, faithfulness, a God who forgives, and this is really the two things that don't go together, a God who forgives, and at the same time, a God who cannot clear the guilty. Some have said this is the riddle of the Old Testament. How in the world could God be a God who forgives sin, iniquity, transgression, and at the same time, the God who can in no wise clear the guilty? How does that work? Well, the way that it works is that Jesus Christ, our mediator, steps between the wrath of God that should have been poured on our guilt and we find forgiveness for our iniquities and transgressions and sin there. Not because the guilty were cleared in the sense that God just turned a blind eye, but His wrath and His justice was satisfied so that His people are forgiven as Christ is punished. How is it that God could be a God who forgives and yet holds the guilty accountable? 
Well, there's only one answer to that. And His name is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Lord's Supper calls us to look back and to remember that we are here because of Him. And what we're celebrating here is Him. And what we have in light of His life, in light of His death, in light of His resurrection. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined, Corinthian church, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, that's a pretty big statement, isn't it? You know about the Corinthian church. We use them as an example fairly often. You also know that between 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul is going to address a whole lot of stuff. He's going to do more than just have meditations that are strictly um, limited to Christ and Him crucified. As a matter of fact, we're in 1 Corinthians 11 with our text this morning, and he's going to be correcting the Corinthians in the way that they observe the Lord's Supper. He calls the Corinthian church to repentance as it relates to dealing with unrepentant sin. He's going to address the fact that they're suing each other. He's going to address the fact that their services seem to be pretty chaotic. He's going to address a whole lot in this letter. But he's addressing every bit of it under the understanding of what the Corinthian church has received due to the fact that Jesus Christ has died and was crucified so that He might purchase these brothers and sisters, sanctify them, and make them a peculiar people, zealous unto good works. You see, we can focus on Holiness, and that ought to be a focus, but outside of Christ and Him crucified, there is no holiness that's acceptable to God. You can clean yourself up as much as you want, and Christ will spew you out of His mouth. Because outside of His shed blood, you're like filthy rags. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 14. Galatians 6. Verse 14. Paul says, but God forbid that I should glory or boast, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. God forbid that I should boast in anything, 
save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the cross is the basis of any other comfort and any other hope that we have in this life or in death. We don't boast in our outward conformity to Scripture. Now, we're thankful that the Lord does work in our lives and we're thankful that the Lord does give us guidance and He does uh, conform us to the image of Christ and we're thankful to participate in um, sanctification. But we certainly don't boast in that. Your sanctification gives you no greater standing before God than when you started. Our boast is in the cross and in the cross alone. The Lord's Supper calls us to look back and remember that our hope and our comfort comes from something outside of us. Not something that's going on or that has been accomplished in us in the sense of we're the ones doing the work. When we look back and we remember, really it's in summary form, 1 Corinthians 1.30 where Paul says, but of Him, that is of the Father, are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, that is he that boasteth, let him glory in the Lord. We're here to say, Father, just as at the beginning, there is nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful for the blessings that the Lord has given us in this church. But we certainly do not come to God pretending like we've put ourselves together. Anything good about us comes as a result of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the providential work of um, God the Father through the Spirit as He has built us up and put us where we are today. So, the Lord's Supper calls us to look back in remembrance at the cross of Christ. Number two, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Lord's Supper calls us to look forward in anticipation. The Lord's Supper calls us to look forward in anticipation. Verse 26 says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. What does that mean? Well, that means the Lord's Supper has a shelf life. There will be a time where it goes away. There will be a time where we no longer, through the symbol of bread and wine, carry out this memorial as we do now. 
We look forward in anticipation to the day when Jesus Christ comes back. And what we're doing here in form is fully entered into in reality. Again, what are we saying whenever we say communion? Well, communion is a joint participation. It's a walking with. It's a relationship. It's, it's, it's a, an expression that um, we are, as it were, eating from the same plate. And our communion is with one another, but our communion is fundamentally with Jesus Christ. Now, we recognize that the communion that we're celebrating this morning is an imperfect communion from the standpoint that, that our redemption, what, it, what we're headed to, uh, we're not there yet. But one day we will get there. And we will no longer have to anticipate because we will participate in what's been fully purchased for us. So in Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, as Jesus gives His final words, um, to his disciples, and he ascends. It says in verse 10, while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall also come in like manner as you have seen Him go into heaven. They stand watching Christ as He ascends and He's beyond their sight. And these angels, as it were, come and say, well, you know He's coming back the same way He went. Well, the Lord's Supper teaches us to anticipate that return. Every time we remember what Christ has done, we ought to also be stirred to anticipation of what He is going to do. First John chapter 3 really takes this uh, the way we spoke about it earlier. First John chapter 3 He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, you, you see what John is saying here. What are we anticipating? Well, we're anticipating a time where Ephesians 1.4 is fully complete. That we will be before Him in love. That is, we will be before His face. Face-to-face fellowship and communion with the Lord. 
we will see him as he is because we will be like him. And so communion or the Lord's Supper is a reminder that one day we will experience the fullness of ongoing, unhindered, face-to-face fellowship with Jesus Christ forever. So, we look back and we remember the broken body and the shed blood. We look forward in remembering that this memorial is only to take place until Christ comes back. And the shadow, really, of what we're doing here will be replaced with the fullness of face-to-face fellowship with Christ. Third, if we go back to 1 Corinthians. Eleven. First Corinthians eleven. We look to him, we celebrate the redemption we have because of his sacrifice. We look ahead and celebrate the hope we have of his second coming. And then third, out of 1 Corinthians 11, 28 through 29, the Lord's Supper calls us to look inward in self-examination. Okay, 1 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29, and we could, it, it really, the, there's more verses in this, uh, we could keep going 30 through um, 34, but we're not going to do that. 1 Corinthians 11, 28, 29, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now this is the principle and then he's going to go and make some comments about that, but it's this self-examination. It's a time where we examine ourselves. Um, self-examination is not always the most comfortable thing for us to do. Self-examination as, as is intended here, particularly for the Christian, um, is something that Really, we have the freedom to do based on the two realities we just mentioned. So self-examination is really being honest with ourselves about ourselves. What's my commitment to Christ been like in my Monday through Saturday? What direction is my life taking? Are my commitments consistent with the commitments of a growing Christian who says we have found our life in Christ and we boast in nothing aside from Him and Him crucified? Well, 
Sometimes this whole business of self-examination can be misunderstood. If it's not neglected just because of pride and indifference, it can be misunderstood for the same reasons. I think Lamentation chapter 3, verse 40 gives a very appropriate setting uh, as far as the way self-examination for the Christian is supposed to work. It's a short verse that just says, let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. What is the purpose of self-examination? It's that you might turn to the Lord. If we think about self-examination in the wrong way, we'll think about it in such a way that we're digging up failures, weaknesses, inconsistencies that the accuser will then use to drive us away from the Lord. You recognize that when we sing about the fact that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners, that means that when we recognize and become aware of the sin that we have in our life, that should drive us to our friend. Now, another reality about this text in 1 Corinthians 11 is, is that when... Paul's writing here, he is not writing about unworthy participants, although there is a such thing as an unworthy participant. But as he's writing to the church here and in this particular passage, he's writing about unworthy participation. It's the one who is eating and drinking unworthily. It's the, it's the eating and drinking that's being done unworthily. It's the way that the participation is happening. It's not the individual. Now, to be sure, and we'll talk about this in our next point, uh, there are unworthy candidates for the Lord's Supper, but that's not what's under consideration. And so the question is, how do we come to the Lord's table unworthily? Well, let's think of a couple of things. Number one, we're thinking about this on the positive side. We are to come to the Lord's table in humble, dependent faith. This is an act of faith. There's nothing magic about the bread we're going to eat. There's nothing magic or, or, or um, uh, uh, inherently powerful about the wine we're going to drink. We bought it from the same store that somebody else came in and bought the wine from that will go do something else with it. What we're doing this morning is we're entering into an exercise of faith. Now, the opposite of this would be arrogant, self-sufficient, Pride. What do I mean? How does that fit? Well, we are not here this morning to celebrate how good we've been compared to the rest of the world. 
We're not here to boast in or to congratulate ourselves or anything like that. We're here this morning to celebrate how blessed we have been to be loved by God, to be covered with the blood of Christ and to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Self-sufficiency is that kind of pride which once we examine ourselves, we try to clean ourselves up real quick, at least try to make ourselves appear to be better than we actually are. Faith looks to Christ and Him alone as the answer for our sin before God. We're to come and eat in faith. Secondly, we're to come to the Lord's table in love. The opposite of which would be indifference or hypocrisy. Now we're talking about love for God here. And this is a love that's expressed in a few ways. It's a, it's a love that's expressed in praise and thanksgiving. We think about Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Why? Because He's done great things. Great things. He, he loves me because He loves me. It's a pretty simple statement. But that's about as exhaustive as we can get on that. God could have glorified Himself in loving somebody else besides me, but that's not what He did. He loved me. He shed His Son's blood for me. He washed me. And so we say, thank You, Lord. We praise You for that. Secondly, this is a love that is expressed in obedience. It's a love that's expressed in obedience. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus makes it clear at the outset of his ministry that what it means to be a follower of him is to live a life that's characterized as a life of repentance and faith. It's not a life that's indifferent to Christ, it's not a life that's indifferent to the kingdom. It's not a life that's indifferent to the church. It's a life that's committed to these things. And so, really, the A, I guess I should say, a summary of what it means to be an unworthy participant or unworthy participation of this. It's just, as Brother Wallace would say, just kind of playing house for God. You know, we got the bread, we got the wine, I got my tie and my suit coat on, we got folks here, and so we will pretend for a little bit that we're interested and in acting like we're committed to the Lord, to His kingdom, to His church until tomorrow. And then I'll just go back to doing the same things I've always done with no concern for personal holiness, no concern for communion within the body, the one another's, the commitments. This is, un, this is unworthy 
participation. The, in other words, it's not real. We're just faking it. We're lying. And so, the Lord's Supper calls us to look within. This is personal self-examination. Fourth, the Lord's Supper calls us to look outward in fellowship. The Lord's Supper calls us to look outward in fellowship. Now we're going to back up a chapter to 1 Corinthians 10 for this. It's... uh, As we've said, a celebration of the fact we've been united to Christ and we've been united to each other. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says, For we being many are one bread or one loaf and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Part of what's being celebrated here in the Lord's Supper is... uh, the unity of the body. We are all one bread. We are all one loaf. Or we could say out of First Corinthians, I'm sorry, out of Ephesians chapter two, we have been made one in Christ. Now, you'll notice the emphasis if you go back and and pay attention if you read through First Corinthians eleven. Look at verse 17, 18, 20, 33, 34. There is an emphasis here that the church at Corinth, they were coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a body. When you come together, when you come together, as you come together, this is not an individual ordinance. This is a church ordinance. This is something we do together. And there's significance in that. Part of the significance, as we've already mentioned, is we're celebrating the unity of the body. Both the fact that we've been united in Christ, but also when we go back to think about communion, fellowship, Joint participation. It's not just theoretical unity. It's real unity. We are really walking with one another. We are really um, participating together in the kingdom of God and the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 5 would, would use some imagery, but it would hone in on this unity aspect as it relates to church discipline. But look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a, a chapter, a section where Paul is really rebuking the church for putting up with unrepentant sin, turning a blind eye. And he gives instructions in verse 4, starting in verse 4. And he says, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my Spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, this whole business of leaven and unleaven and a little leaven leavening the whole lump, all this is just metaphorical it's it's he's using an illustration here and 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 what he's saying and emphasizing here is the importance of actual unity within the body what is it that unrepentant sin does in the church of god well if we say that we are followers of Christ and that we have committed ourselves to a life of (laughs) repentance and faith, when we start thinking about this business of a little leaven leavening the whole lump, that is, someone who has claimed to be in fellowship with us, who we treat as if they are in fellowship with us, who are not actually in fellowship with us, that has an influence on the rest of the body. Okay, It's not just the fact that sin can be influential. That's obviously part of it. But it's the fact that we are a new body. We are, a, we are one loaf in Christ. And that is to be a sincere or pure or genuine. That is, all the participants are moving in the same direction, committed to the same thing. So we're thinking about a unified body, which is based on our faith in Christ and our life in Christ. The purpose for church discipline, or a purpose, it's not the only purpose, but a purpose of church discipline is to preserve the unity and fellowship of the church. Um, Again, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic expression of this actual unity, actual fellowship, actual striving that the body has that we're seeking to guard. And so when we look at a passage like 1 Corinthians 5, a passage where we are uh, told to guard the feast in verse 8, which I believe is referring to the Lord's Supper, and most commentators believe that as well. Um, where we have instructions to what's been termed fence the Lord's table or guard the Lord's table. We're called to do that from within. That is, the body here is to guard that. Why would we do that? 
Because outside of being guarded, it loses its significance. Okay? This is not a celebration for believers and unbelievers to join in on together. It's also not a celebration for committed believers and those who may have professed faith at one time but have long left their commitment to Christ in the dust and have shown no interest in walking with Him or His people, whether the Lord eventually brings them back or not. This is not a table for that. This is a table to outwardly celebrate and outwardly display that we've been made one with Christ and one with one another as we walk by faith and as we bring ourselves into conformity to all the implications of what it means to be brought into the family of God, washed in the blood of Christ, and dwelt by the Spirit of God, and then to be put on a track where we are participating in this business of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're participating through uh, personal holiness and also with our interaction as we seek to encourage, comfort, admonish, edify the body in love. And so, brothers and sisters, as we enter into the Lord's Supper, as we have so many times before, let's enter into it remembering, looking back at the cross of Christ, which is our entry gate here, looking forward in anticipation to the day where we turn in, really, the shadow for the reality of ongoing, unhindered fellowship face-to-face with Christ. May we look inward in our times of silence, confessing what needs to be confessed, thanking God for the forgiveness of sin, asking God for help to continue to grow. And then may we look outward at the fellowship that we have within the body, committing ourselves to one another, to Christ and the agenda that He has for His church, that through fellowship and love, we would edify ourselves together in love. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come this morning to the Lord's table as we have so many times before. And we come with thankful hearts. Lord, it's a, uh, it's a privilege to be among Your people. It's a privilege to be able to proclaim, even through symbolism, that we have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
It's a privilege to have been brought into your kingdom. It's a privilege to be part of your church. And so, Father, we celebrate that this morning. It is a, um, it's a sober thing to come and to remember this way, but it's also a joyful thing. We're celebrating the grace and mercy of God. We're celebrating the fact that aside from the work of Christ on our behalf, we have no reason to expect any kind of permanent joy. And so, Father, we pray You would be with us as we enter in, that You would bless our hearts and minds to be fixed on the things that they should be, and that we would enter into this memorial with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.